Okay, folks, we're live. It's episode 80. Wow, can't believe we've made it this far. Episode 80 of the Adrian Bow podcast. And today I'm absolutely delighted to bring to you a very good friend of mine, even though we were just chatting earlier saying it's just been too long since we've caught up, so we're definitely going to catch up. But someone that I've known for best part of uh, sort of two and a half decades and someone who I revere in the industry and as an individual personally, uh, Mr. Shannon Whitney. Shannon, how are you, brother? Good, mate. Thank you. It has been a long time. I think um, you and I were... Uh... You and I were part of the McGrath All-Star sales roster in the mid-90s, <laughs> early to mid-90s. I still remember it, actually, uh, Widows. It was, um, I started in 94. You would have started about 18 months later. Correct. And I never forget, I don't know if you remember this, but um, you, you joined and, um, you know, I was in momentum and you were like, mate, you know, Bowie, how, how am I going to get to this level, you know? And I said, Trust me, mate, there's one thing I'm going to promise you, and you, you're not going to believe me now, but you, you'll thank me for it later. Your biggest challenge in about eight months' time will be how to handle the volume that you've got. Do you ever remember me saying that? Yeah, I do, actually, yeah. I wow, do. wow. Yeah. And, 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 mate, within probably six months, it was, it was, it was oh, geez, what do I do with the volume? And then, and then we started listening to cassette tapes about people, you know, putting on assistance and focusing on dollar productivity. And then we started building teams and, you know, it was just, it was so much fun, wasn't it, mate? Oh, it was, it was, but it was also a, probably a very pivotal moment, I think, um, in terms of this, the, the real estate industry in Australia at that particular time, um, we were probably, you know, you probably couldn't ask to be sitting in a better seat than the seats we were sitting in. Mm. Must have been what fifteen of us, I think, in that sales roster. Um, yeah, yeah. Rattle uh, off some names. Who who was there? Myself, uh, you, James, James Dack. Yeah. Uh, ben Collier, Pauline Goodyear, Georgia Cleary. Yeah. Um, some of the best. Gary Sands. Yeah. Uh, Michael Glynn. Yeah. Um, you know there was Stuart Bunn. There was a. Yes. There was, yeah, there was a lot of. Um, I think Debbie Donnelly had just left. Or Mary Howe. Mary Howe. Yeah, um, yeah. It was uh, some it was great good, operators. Yeah, some terrific operators. Yeah, there wasn't a weak link. There wasn't a weak link amongst us. But anyway, it was a great experience. It was just one of those things that you know, circumstance and time, you know, provide certain certain opportunities for you. And uh, yeah. I was the youngest, and you were close to me in age and there was a big gap between the next one if I recall yeah yeah and you know what what I often um repeat these days um widows to to a lot of people I coach is I say um you know John you you used to run a pretty tight ship you remember our sales meetings and everything and Mm -hmm. and and if you recall the minimum expectation was four listings four sales a month if you recall right and basically you, you you wouldn't warrant a McGrath business card unless you were doing that now what people didn't appreciate was this is just pre-email, pre-REA domain. So I'm talking, you know, someone had, someone had listed their property and to get it listed and marketed, you'd call the newspaper to get in 12 to 14 days later, if you're lucky. Then someone had walked through, asked for a contract, you'd post it to them, they'd get it two days later if they were lucky. You know, and, and when I, I talk about, you know, minimum one listing, one sale a week to people today, and this is what, you know, 25 years later, People sometimes look at me like I'm like like I'm from Mars, you know, and and they've got the technology. Days on market are shorter. We've got social media now. Like you know, isn't it bizarre when you think about it in that context? 
Oh, absolutely. It, uh, you know, it's phenomenal. It, do it doesn't feel like that long ago, but uh, it, it is very interesting. And I think that those experiences certainly from my, you know, from the, the journey that I've gone on, it's those experiences that help you navigate and create the opportunities and I guess ask you to think about things differently as you move through different environments and different situations. And um, mm. I think having that perspective always asks of you to think about doing things differently. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing you. Yeah. So I, I do agree. Now I really appreciate you um, um, joining this podcast, mate, because as you know, as I, when I first connected was, you know, the people that I asked to, to be interviewed are the ones who adopt a very altruistic attitude to the industry. And that means people that love giving back. And I, and I know that you fall into that category. I do it. You know, there's, there's, there's only a nucleus of people, you know, that, that really love to do it. And it's a bizarre industry because you look at the medical fraternity or the legal fraternity. Um, it, they're not those sort of industries where people share their so-called secrets, quote unquote. Um, but this is a sort of industry where the transparency is unbelievable. It's just that unfortunately the implementation rate is very low, you know, with yeah. agents. And that's why, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you know, in most offices and I would say in the industry, uh, in Australia, you've still got that fragmentation of about 30% of the agents earn 70% of the income. Yeah. Uh, I would say that would be true in most businesses uh, at a micro level and probably the industry at a macro level. Would you agree? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. I think, um, I think that, you know, when you look at that, the, the problem actually makes a lot of sense because, you know, when you, when you go out into, you know, real estate businesses, you know, in Sydney and around the place, I think, where you the, the problem you continue to see is lack of resource, lack of investment, mm. and lack of understanding about how can you narrow that gap between uh, a salesperson and someone who is actually contributing and performing. Mm. Uh, so I think in simple terms, my observations is there's a lot of good intent. Mm. And I think there's a lot of people out there that would like to look at that problem and say, I'm, I'm going to improve the performance and the, the success rate of my three agents, my seven agents, my 15, my 30, my 50. Mm. My observations is that I think that a lot of people would like to see that happen. They just don't know how. Mm. And um, secondly, I think that in most cases, they won't provide the necessary investment and resources to give it the best chance. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And look, you know, when I do a lot of my coaching, Shannon, you know, I, I tell uh, agents, principals, anyone who will listen ad nauseum that, look, there's only two ways to grow your business. One is to make your incumbent agents more productive. Two, recruit new agents. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, you know. Uh, oh. But unfortunately, it's a lot easier, easier said than done. Um, yeah. So, mate, the first, the first sort of topic I want to discuss with you, even though we've sort of been going for a few minutes already, and, and, and unless... People have been living under a rock. Shannon Whitney is the co-founder of Bresick Whitney, which is a very revered uh, brand within um, within the eastern suburbs, um, in inner city in particular and, and, and surrounds. Um, but I didn't think I'd needed to mention that because, mate, you, you know, you're very well known in the industry, but in case people didn't know. And you've, um, now, the first one I want to talk about, mate, is, is the industry itself. Now, obviously, you know, you and I have been doing it for 30-odd years. Um, the landscape is evolving rapidly. Um, mm. 
the the changes I've observed, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this and whether they're consistent or if you've made any other observations. Firstly, you know, I've noticed that you know, the, the days of 50% commission splits have changed. Um, secondly, I've noticed the costs of running a business have changed. Um, thirdly, I've noticed that there's a lot of agents, they reach a certain point and whether it's ego or, or aspiration, um, they're asking what's next. Um, and, and the other part is, you, you know, we're still seeing new brands pop up all the time. And then we've got the agent direct model, which is also popping up, which is very hard to ignore. You know, it's easy to write it off and go, oh, like EXP and, you know, Urban X and all these galas, you know, like it's easy to say that, but mate, they're getting some traction and it's sort of the path of it makes sense. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on, on that. Yeah, look, it's look. I, I yeah, we've been doing it. You know, I was like you, not early nineties. So, to see, um, you know, in in many ways, probably my observations have been. I've been a keen student of the industry, you know, since since I entered, you know, with uh, with you in um, at McGrath's. And I guess it takes a little bit of time for you to be able to see the wood from the trees. I yeah. think, that, you know, when you when you come in the industry, you're so um, absorbed and focused on the transactional energy mm. and the transactional energy, you know, really is probably what, you know, I guess seduces you and, and also it sort of it drives you to for personal satisfaction, personal improvement. I think when you, you know, done this, you know, particularly for someone like you and myself, we, I found experience success at a young age. And I think that you go through that phase of, um, understanding what success is and enjoying all the, the, you know, the traps of what that brings, both from a financial point of view, both from a, a ego mental point of view. And, you know, I think at, at, at that point, you know, you start to look beyond just you and the transaction or you and the client. I think probably my observations have been that it's a, it, it's a remarkable um, process that we're involved in and the process is is um, you know in many ways laced with uh, a lot of emotion. Uh, it's laced with a lot of behaviour that isn't scientific. It isn't mathematic. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people have looked at our industry in different ways through different lenses and said, "How can we participate in this? How can we make a buck?" How can we change it? How can we improve it? And I think that they're all very valid questions. Um, my observations have been that it's, it's certainly not as simple as it seems. And um, I can completely understand why more and more businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs, uh, agents wanting to do things, you know, a little differently, want to get involved in the industry and say, I want to, you know, I want to kind of, put my mark on this or I want to change this. I think that, you know, and I certainly say this with experience, I, I think that, it, you know, the, the, the way that you can, um, the way that you can kind of change things and influence things in the industry may not be as obvious and as simple as you might think. Um, I think that some organisations and brands have been able to do innovative, different things and from my observations, I haven't really seen, certainly in Australia, I haven't seen any non-industry players make that big an impact, mm. um, despite they have provided quite helpful and valuable solutions in the process, you know, in certain mm. ways. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But I think, Bowie, the thing that continues to um, kind of uh, probably continues to confirm my views is that it's a human-to-human transaction. Uh, in most cases, um, it's it's human emotion that influences decision. Um, in most cases, and therefore, human a human role is very important somewhere. Mm. Um, but when you look at all that, it certainly is a is quite a wild landscape with a lot of room to move. Right when you mm. think about it, the way I've just described it. And for that reason, I think that's why you will continue to have fragmentation, new brands, existing brands expanding, technology. Mm. And I think in fairness, if you step back and you look at how things have evolved, say, in our 30 years, what you should expect is that evolution is going to continue. Mm. I think that what we probably have seen in the last five to 10 years is the rate of evolution has been quicker. Mm. Um, but I'd also say that a lot of the factors and trends outside our industry play an enormous role. Consumerism, uh, expectation in terms of data and how quick people want things, how that influences their decision-making. And I don't think that necessarily buying and selling houses should be exclusive to those things either. Mm. Um, I think that we, within the industry, are in a much stronger position than we probably realise in terms of the, you know, the knowledge and the insights that we have in terms of providing solutions. And agents have an awful amount of knowledge at their fingertips. Um, it's just about how do you, you know, take that and, you know, optimise it the best way you can in, in different vehicles. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's a great response, mate. What I picked up from that, um, Shannon, was... Um, you know, the, the, the non-industry participation. And let, let's use McGrath as an example because McGrath, despite its, its advantages and disadvantages, it's, it's been, for the lack of a better term, a factory for producing incredible talent. You know? yeah. and, and it's gone through incredible times and it's gone through not so good times. And I look at that journey and I think the best times were when industry people were, had their hands on their wheel there at that particular business, you know. Um, no, no, no disrespect to anyone that wasn't, wasn't industry people involved, but, but there's no doubt that, that, that you take John McGrath out of that equation and, and, and you know, the, the business doesn't look the same. You know, it'd be the same as, same as Bresick Whitney. You know, you take Shannon out of the equation, it'd be a different business, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that... McGrath is a good barometer because it's 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 definitely produced some outstanding talent. It's been around for a while. It's gone through the iteration of private to public, and and you and I have both sort of you know worked there, and 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 uh, you know certainly there almost at its genesis, and, and I was there yeah. until most recently. So it was an incredible journey to go, and I don't I don't regret a single day of it. You know, it was amazing. Um, the other thing I picked up, widows, what you were talking about is is the relationship factor that that will never disappear so you know you hear of other industries almost monthly being not only not only disrupted but disintermediated completely and annihilated um and i don't think that'll ever happen to our industry because the agent 
needs to be the conduit between a buyer and a seller. I mean, you know, and it was it was even, you know, probably 20 years ago, they started trying to come up with ideas about, you know, agent in a box, I think it was called when they, you know, sell, sell by owner and all that sort of stuff. Um, I just don't think in metropolitan areas where you're dealing with high net worth individuals who are time poor, who are prepared to pay, um, a fee because frankly the opportunity cost is way too high for them to be involved in it because they're running their own businesses and 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 their you know rate per hour is just way too high to be you know consumed in in selling property so i just never feel as if that relationship factor despite technology's influence will ever disappear no i wouldn't have thought so i think that will or there will always be a role for a human um I think that there's a lot of things that have changed in our time. And I think that those changes in broader society, in the business world, uh, you know, I said the word consumerism, you know, the way that people consume products and services and, and the things in life that are important to them. I think that, you know, all that has changed in uh, developed countries. Um, I don't think that, you know, buying and selling real estate for that reason should be, you know, ex- excluded from, from that. Um, you know, when I when I look at that, I I think that um, uh, I think that you know there's been a lot of I guess there's been a lot of movement in terms of what the priorities are. What does a consumer think a priority is with a with uh, you know a broker, a consultant, you know a human being in that result? What are their uh, what are their expectations on service delivery and what do they? see to be important mm. and i certainly think that that has moved around a lot since you and i were we're doing what we're doing in an analog sense without any digital support mm. um, but i think that the principles of the role that we play and the need of the vendor and the buyer have to change a lot i just think the fashion in which we go about it has the the agent itself um I think is, is, is mostly more difficult for there's more that's required to succeed, I think. And when I say what is success, I don't disagree with you. I think that if someone, you know, is really serious about being, you know, a, a valuable and a, a contributor to, you know, people on the buy side and the sell side, uh, I think there's a certain level of service expectation, uh, knowledge, uh, product uh, product and market knowledge, you know, they're two different things, but I think that there's a level of expectation that a broker should bring with them in that, you know, in that, um, uh, in that process. I think that's changed a lot because mostly consumers are, are, are used to a certain level of service and, and an experience in most ways in life that have far outweigh what they were getting in 1995. And certainly I'd fair to say that when we started this business in 2002, it's changed dramatically in that time. So, for a human being to, to say, I'm going to play in the brokerage game and, you know, I, maybe we'll touch on, you know, the, the genesis of buyer's agent and perhaps where they are at in terms of that evolution. But I think that there's a certain thing that, you know, individuals have got to bring into this practice. Mm-hmm. And again, I come back to the difficulty is that without having experienced coaches like yourself or, um, or access to experienced people, mostly their businesses are not probably going to be able to provide that for them. And in fairness, that's not a criticism, but most of the principals are out there selling and listing and doing what they can to support 
you have to be realistic. These are small businesses. They're not sophisticated corporations and they just don't have the layer of investment and resources to be able to provide that for people. So the industry, you know, is getting better. I, I think as a, rule, as a rule, the high watermark has gotten higher. But, um, you know, I still think that to keep pace with, you know, our, our consumers on the buy and sell side, I think that's the great challenge we've got. Um, but great real estate businesses and great brokerages, I think, will continue to meet those standards and in some cases, you know, outperform them because the leaders and, you know, the decision makers are thinking, continually thinking about what are the ways that we can do this better. Mm. You're spot on. Like, you know, no, no longer uh, is our competition, you know, Eljo Hooker or Ray White. It's, it's, it's Maryvale, Qantas, um, you know, whatever great brand or consumer experience you can think of, you know, if, 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 an, if a buyer's coming through an open house and that night they go to, you know, Mimi's restaurant or a five hat restaurant, well, that's your competition because the, the, yeah, because yeah, their expectation is the same, you know, if not more because agents, you know, generally don't have the, the best reputation, therefore, the consumer is actually looking more acutely and actually looking almost for us to trip up, you know? Um, so, so it's very interesting, but really good segue there, um, widows into, into growth for growth sake. Um, you know, obviously I saw the best and worst of, of, of growth for growth sake, um, you know, in the business I was involved with for, 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 for a quarter of a century. Um, you've, you know, since your business has opened in 2002, you know, you've had you've kicked some goals, and and you've 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 you you know you've had a, you've a couple of losses. You know, um, mate, it's 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 part of the journey. Yeah. But but what lessons have you learned from either recruiting the wrong agent, or opening the wrong office, or or, or um, you know expanding into a territory that that, that may not have been appropriate, um, rather than you know maybe just focusing on your core market and looking at double digit uh, market share. You know in couple of areas rather than trying to get three percent market share in 10 areas you know what what have you learned yeah. from those lessons oh uh, yeah look i think i think that you know when you're in the driving seat and you're making decisions you know in terms of what is the you know what's the shape of the business going to look like and how are we going to orientate our way around growth i i absolutely agree with you i think that the, the great challenge is you know sensible logical um you know i wouldn't say risk-free decisions but you know sensible decisions and, you know, you, you, you're always, you've always got this, you know, the challenge of trying to keep your, your ego and your optimism and your, you know, your sort of natural aspirations in check and continually ask yourself, you know, are we making this decision for the right reasons or are we making it because we think we can? And, and look, I think we all do that when we, you know, when we're talking to, you know, potential agents in terms of recruitment, we, we, we learn that, you know, sometimes we want the outcome to be the way, but we're probably not prepared to ask the hard questions before we, mm. before we do that. And I think your, your instincts are a good guide. And, and look, we, we, we've done that. I think we've perhaps at times, uh, not perhaps, I know at times we've, you know, we've expected or thought that we're probably ahead of where we actually are. Um, we, we haven't thoroughly, rigorously, you know, sanity check what, what our operational position is and, you know, are we actually prepared for this? Are we doing this, you know, basically, you know, based on what we think is going to work? And and I think you do. You 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 know, you you'll often go two steps forward, one sidewards, and then one back, and mm-hmm. move forward again. Learn from your mistakes. And and I, I, I say that because you know, real estate 
as a you know as an industry is is much much more complex than people realize and um you know at the core of building i think a successful agent unit or a successful business successful property management group or a successful sales roster it's ultimately it's a people challenge Mm. Um, and as you said before you, you you can't provide the service and you can't deliver those experiences without having the people and i think the great question is what do we think we need to do with our people to be able to actually deliver that and that's where businesses find it difficult because it's easy to say it's harder to do. And, um, and, you know, you look at, you mentioned McGrath's, the challenges that say a franchise group has uh, in five doc with um, say six staff is very different, say to a Bresic Whitney with five, you know, with five areas, five operations and 200 staff. Mm. That's different to, say, a McGrath or a Ray White who now have 200, 300, 1,000 offices. Mm. The solution to the problems are different. The problems are different and the solutions are different. So we have to, as business leaders and as, and as real estate leaders, try to be really clear about what problems do we think we have and what are the problems we're trying to solve. Um, mm. Because, Bowie, it is different. There are some similarities to the principle of what we do, but mostly what we're doing in terms of providing solutions to that growth problem is it's going to be different for every business. And, um, and it's fascinating. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting journey, but I, I, I can certainly say now that I've been in the industry a while and, you know, made the decision to sit in a seat as a business owner, I can see why there's not a lot of big, big real estate businesses in Australia. There aren't that many. Hmm. And when I say re- there's not a lot of big offices, you know, anywhere in Australia. Um, and, and I can see why, you know, that's the case. It's not an easy journey and it's, uh, it's, it's challenging, you know, to deal with the navigate your way around, you know, the risks. Yeah. And I did mention previously the agent direct model, which has emerged and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Um, I've done a lot, quite a lot of research on all of them. And, and, and look, the good thing about them is they don't pretend to be a real estate agency they they're an agent services model basically and 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 really just a platform for an individual to 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 you know have have either a bricks and mortar office or a virtual office what what are your thoughts on it if or do you know much about it or look i do i mean i follow it but i have to say you know those sorts of you know when when i saw those sorts of solutions starting to pop out of the ground I think that there will be, you know, a, a place for them in the industry. Yeah. I don't think that in any way they will be a threat because I think that, you know, you, you know, you, I, I think that you'll, you know, it'll, it'll attract a certain type of person. There'll be a lot of, there's a lot missing from the goodness in terms mm. of, you know, um, culture and various other things. But I think that there'll be marketplaces that it simply won't, you know, it certainly won't, you know, penetrate. There might be some marketplaces you know that it'll play a minor role um do i think that it's a threat to the industry i don't um the other thing um shano is you know look at the average agent in 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 sydney say call it metropolitan they reach a certain level um like you and i did and you know you reach certain targets goals and then you ask yourself that question as i said before you know what's next and again, whether it's ego or ambition, at some point, you know, you, you either want to 
be part of something bigger than you. So, so you, you, you become a partner of a business like I did, for example, or you would go on your journey, which was, you know, to put your name on the door and, 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 and start your own thing. I mean, at what point does the agent start thinking about that? And should they think about that? You know, cause you and I were just saying facetiously just before we went live about, you know, you opened the business. I sort of bought into McGraw's more of an investor um, you know, and I just, all I did was, you know, sell a hundred properties a year and buy two or three investment properties a year. And that was my wealth creation plan where a lot of agents are quite deluded about business ownership. They think it's the panacea to wealth creation, but, uh, I'm not saying it's not in, in, in any sense, but you know, it, it, it often, it often isn't. Um, what, what are your, what advice do you give to those agents who've reached that point? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I appreciate say if I, if I look at my own journey, and I reflect back and I have this conversation with many, many of our sales agents who get to that point. Mm. Um, I didn't have the life skills, nor did I have the you know, uh, commercial knowledge and education to know what decision I was making at the age of 29. Mm. Uh, you know, I, was, I, I had tasted a certain level of transactional success uh, between 25 and 30. But ultimately, Bowie, what I was good at is, uh, you know, I, I, I'd reached a certain level of expertise in... Um, in brokering a sale. That certainly when I made a decision that I wanted to do it myself to your point, because I was searching for the next thing, mm. I had no idea what decision mm. I was making. Mm. And I can certainly say it has nothing to do with selling real estate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you learn that quite quickly because quite quickly you're faced with a variety of challenges that business owners and business leaders are inevitably faced with. And that is that you're going to have to make this a successful enterprise and you're going to have to learn a variety of different skills that you have never experienced before. Mm. So when someone says, you know, the, the level of success in Australia for, you know, small business, about 75% fail, I can see why. Mm. Because in fairness, the majority of us are going on that journey and not knowing what we're doing. So I'd have to say, if, if, I, if, I, if, if agents get to that point, naturally they do, and they decide that they need to take a step that's different, then I would say that going, you know, going into to business ownership, is a, it's almost a lifestyle commitment mm. you're making. Mm. Yeah. And I think, in fairness, I wasn't ready for that commitment. Mm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the stimulation. Um, I, I would you know, certainly say that I would, I would throw a lot of it away and say, I wish I didn't have to go through that because I, I certainly didn't sign up for that. Mm. But, you know, looking back, you know, was it a commercial financial decision for me? No, it, you know, that wasn't a, a great commercial financial decision at all. Mm. And I'm now 45. I made that decision at 28. Mm. Um, you know, would things be different? Absolutely, they'd be different for me now. Mm. Did I take the better route? No, I don't think I did. I took a certain route that I made a commitment along the way. I wanted to improve and I wanted to learn things and I was going to have to if I was going to make this thing successful. But I, I have to say, I think, you know, a lot of people that I meet and I have a lot of people in our sales roster over the years, I've encouraged them down the, fr the franchise route. I've encouraged them down. So I've said, I think that if you're going into business ownership, a franchise model may be more appropriate for you um, because you're going to get a better coverage of support. I felt that some people probably weren't the right people to go into business and I've given them that feedback. 
And I think it's great to see businesses offering, uh, you know, investment opportunities such as the one you got, uh, whether it be in a private or public sense. I think that that, you know, are, are great opportunities for people rather than having to go through, you know, the responsibility and, you know, as I said, the, the lifestyle commitment that I went through for the last 15 years, it's a really challenging journey. Mm. Yeah, I look, I often, you know, quite jokingly tell people that, um, you know, the, the, uh, the talent required from being a real estate agent to become a business owner, you could almost use the analogy of, of golf because I think a golf club is the most poorly designed tool to hit a golf ball in a small hole. Right, it's good. You could you couldn't have designed a more poorly designed. And being a real estate agent is probably the most poorly designed skill set required to become a business owner. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, it sounds, you know, it, it sounds a bit facetious. You know, when I when and certainly not disrespectful, but you know, being a great agent often doesn't mean you're a great agent. And in fact, uh, sorry, be a great business owner. And it's almost like being a great agent doesn't make you a great public speaker and presenter. And we've seen that at ARIC many times. There's some terrific, terrific speakers. But then suddenly, you know, you get a cracker agent, you put them on stage in front of 3,000 people and they've they've done a 1,000 listing appointments, but you put them up there and they freeze, you know. Um, So it's it's interesting. But I think uh, it's it's also too, I think what a lot of people don't realise is that one of the ingredients of success of being a high-performing great agent is there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of selfishness and you know, absolute unrelenting commitment to your personal discipline and performance. Mm. Um, you know that's for anyone who's you know been to the the top of you know of, of this thing. Mm. When you move into a healthy business environment, what's asked of the leader is to empower. Mm. And what that means is that you have to then use a whole different set of principles and skills that gives your, your staff the, the chance to be the best people they can be. So in many ways, what you do is you start to having to undo what you understood you had to create yourself or, or pattern mm. you know, your thinking in order to succeed in a certain way. And then you have to unravel that and do it you know, differently. And in some cases, with most businesses, including mine, you had to do both at the same time. Yeah, yeah, walk and chew gum. Um, That's very vulnerable and very authentic and very honest of you, widows, to to speak the way you are. And I think a lot of people would be, not surprised, but they'd they'd certainly be thinking, okay, well, I I would have thought that most business owners would want to, um, you know, hide their... uh, um, shortcomings, but but you're not, which is great because mate, nothing's perfect. No relationship's perfect. No business is perfect. We're not perfect, um, and and you know unless you're failing, you're not growing. You know, and and failures are your reference points, so you don't do them again. You know, yeah. and if you had no reference points, then you, you'd you'd have you'd have no um, um, you know direction. So I yeah. think I think it's critical that you, you mention that. So. With that agent, I think the options for that agent, in my opinion, and the advice I give a lot of a lot of business owners, is I think the the, the partner model, which is what you've adopted in your business, I think is an absolute no-brainer. Um, and I, I I I certainly am a big advocate of that because um, 
what it allows an agent to do is not necessarily have to reinvent the wheel and go through everything that you've just talked about going through. They could, they could be an investor in an established business, have skin in the game, um, and, and whether as business leaders we like it or not, agents like to have that title, whether it's partner or shareholder or whatever it is, they like to have that. Does it help them get listings? Maybe. Um, does it make them feel good? Well, if it does, then that, that's, that, 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 can, that can only be a good thing. Um, because it, 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 it might just help them get listings, you know. Um, so if they can be an investor um, and have skin in the game and be attached to the same outcome you are, um, it's an absolute no-brainer in my opinion. And frankly, every business advisory session I do, which is many, which is many, um, you know, when it comes to talking about retention and recruitment, I don't think there's there's a better model, you know, and I think I think you know McGrath pre-float did it well with myself and a few others. I think Dave Highland's done it very well. Um, I know that you've 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 introduced that into your business model as well, and it was probably by by default, not by design. You, you probably you know I know Dave Highland often you know when I talk to him, you know he only did it as as a reaction because he had top, some of his top people walk out, so he sort of reactively did it rather than proactively did it. I, I've never asked you uh, why you did it. Might have been the same reason, but um, yeah, could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, look, I, I think I think it's just common sense, you know, because at the end of the day, you say, well, you know, you look at the problem how you framed it. These people are either people that we, you know, that we want to continue to work with and they want to continue to work here, but they've mm. reached a level of, you know, mastery, if you like, where, you know, they are looking for more out of their professional life. Um, mm. And, you know, there's certainly, in that, when you get to that stage, you accept that the individual has a, has a variety of different options. Mm. I think at that point you have to say, well, you know, we'd like person A to stay here and we think that person A would contribute to the business and we think you know they'll 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 benefit from staying in the business and being an owner so therefore i think you know you you look at those situations um you know you say i think that that would suit the person i'd also say that you know we've had an enormous amount of you know good agents go through here and you know i guess the thing i learned too from the beginning was that they'll go on that journey like you and i did Mm. Um, for a lot of them they'll get to a point where uh, because of their success or perceived success, they'll feel like that there are other things that they want to try and taste. Um, I'll try and make an objective view whether I think that they're a good fit to deepen their relationship with us. Um, and I think one of the hardest things is that, you know, it isn't just about who's the best transactional person. There's a whole range of things that you have to look at. And, you know, I think, Bowie, I've seen many situations where, you know, the individual said, I want to do it my way and I want to do it, you know, in this particular area and that's really important to me. And often I'll say, well, I think you should go and do it Mm. Um, because I don't think that you're going to be satisfied that we can give you that. Mm. And secondly, if it's that important to you and you're passionate about it, you should don't, don't live your life regretting and looking back, just jump on and give it a go. Mm. Uh, You know, you'll only really know if it's the right thing once you're on the bus and equally, I think that there are probably people that may not be, you know, a great, you know, uh, may not be a great sort of ideal fit for us in terms of, you know, contributing and, do, you know, contributing to the running of the business and performing as, a, as an owner. And, and I think in that stage, when they get to their transactional kind of maturity at a certain age, 
I can understand why they want to kind of go and do something different or try something. And I think from my observations, the, the, the more that you suppress, you know, that natural organic, you know, kind of tra- the, the thing that you, that people go through, mm. I think the more difficult it gets for both. So we try and continue to say, how are you feeling about where you're at? Uh, some stay for 10 years, some stay for 15, mm. you know, some, some get to a point where five's enough. Um, and I think everyone's got to go on that journey because as you said, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that I, I don't think that you'll ever stop improving your practice, uh, you know, as a real estate practitioner, mm. you know, from my observations, there's an awful lot that even the great, even the great agents probably still have room for improvement. Um, you know, I can certainly say at my age, I'm still doing it. I still enjoy and find a lot of stimulation out of it. Um, I miss it when I'm not doing it. Um, but I also recognise that there's many parts to my practice I, I can see improvement and I can see areas I can get better at. Um, and I think to your point at the beginning, when you're a business owner and you make that decision to be, you know, to own a real estate business, you have to have, uh, you have to have that, what do they call it? You know, a very generous gene. Mm. You have to be open and want to see people succeed. And you have to genuinely say, I'm going to try and help you. Mm. Uh, I think that we, we say a lot of words in this industry, but we don't often back it up, not necessarily because people mean to, but we often don't have the capabilities of backing that up. And, uh, you know, I think that's a very important ingredient to a successful roster and a successful organisation of, you know, salespeople. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, often a lot of um, principals will ask me, well, what's the metrics for me to um, invite a partner on board, you know? And, and I've got three, which I always tell them. I, I say one, obviously, is, is their, their productivity. I think that's, that's, that's uh, important. Um, equally as important is tenure. I think there's got to be a minimum tenure period. And thirdly, which is probably the most important one, is their culture and contribution. Um, yes. You know, and because you, know, you, you you've built a reputation, a business over you know years, if not decades. Um, anyone that's you know going to be become a part of that and certainly take a stake in it and 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 represent that brand needs to needs to be consistent both in your values and, um, and your productivity level. So it's interesting. So we talked, about, we talked about the agent next step. Now let's talk about the principal's next step because this is a real common one, um, Widow, that, I, that I'm constantly sitting in front of principals and they, they're tearing their hair out, you know. Um, and this is, this is, this is, the, this is the, um, the, the quandary that they're facing. Um, if they reach a certain level of success within their business, at what point, at what point do they cannibalise their own highest and best use, which is really a listing and selling agent, and become a full-time sales manager slash operations person? Um, or do they put someone else on and remain at their highest and best use, which is listing and selling real estate? Now, I've had a lot of principles fluctuate back and forth and I've, I've observed you, you have done that as well, um, fluctuated back and forth. Um, so I, I know what advice I give them, but um, I'd love to hear your recommendation and, and just high level, you know, really, you know, the way I see it is unless you've got scale, you've got no choice but to list and sell. Um, yeah. 
but if and if you're and if you're small, then um, you know you, 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 the cost of hiring a sales manager and having your agents actually respect that sales manager, where often the agent's sitting there saying, dude, you've never been in the trenches. You, if you're any good at this, you'd be doing it. I'm earning more money than you. I mean, none of this is meant to sound stupid. It's just, it's just, it's just real, right? It's the yeah. So I'd love to hear your views on it. Well, I like it. it's, it's a very good question. I mean, it, you know, we've, we've, got, we've got a sales roster of, we've got a sales roster of 45, 47 people, 50 people. Um, and, you know, along the way, along the way as we were growing, we ask the same question, you know, where is our highest and best use? And I guess, again, coming from, you know, the industry and understanding what it's like to be an agent, we often just refer, reflected back on what do we think is important in terms of, you know, what do these agents need from us? And along the way, we made the decision that Ivan and I would take that responsibility as we grew. We'd, we'd share it amongst ourselves. But we also, we also acknowledged that, our sales leadership on the field being a transactional agent, but having the awareness and the consciousness to not compete with our colleagues to support them was a crucial element to that growth. And we were forever reminding ourselves how important, you know, that was for us. And we weren't perfect because we would overstretch. We would get caught in real estate mode. You know, we'd, we'd, list too much, not share, sell too much. And you can immediately feel the, you know, the anxiety and sort of the disappointment on, you know, creep into the culture when you start to do that. Mm. So we kept looking at this problem and saying, what do we think is the best solution based on how we want the business to run? I never once looked at another business and said, I want to do that. I always came back to my instincts and my people and kept debating with Ivan, what is the best solution for the problem we have at this point in time? Over that years, I continuously met the sales manager types and I continually questioned adding a layer of accountability into our business between us and our agents. I, I kept on walking away saying, I can't see how that's constructive. Um, now, I would say that, you know, as a, as a general sense, it was a management position as opposed to a sales leadership position. And mostly from, a, from an experiential point of view, uh, I, I, I rarely met anybody that I thought probably had the miles under their belt nor had the kind of the personal skills to really understand how they could, um, how they could support our business. Um, Interestingly, when Ivan left uh, and made the decision he was going overseas, I then looked at, for the first time, we have a different problem here. And that problem is that our natural leader in this, on the sales arena is departing. You know, and Willie Phillips, who had also, um, you know, create, also had a, a major role in our business in that, you know, was, was heading, at, heading out on holidays for 18 months as well. I recognised that, you know, that we actually have a gap in our business that we've never had to deal with before. So I'm, I, I, I made the decision that I would move the chess pieces and that in many ways, my role doesn't mean that I now become an agent. It means my sales leadership position is a different place on the field. And that means I've got to lead from the field 
as opposed to being uh, there supporting when I'm needed. And you would, you would understand that because it doesn't mean one's better than another, but it means that you're providing value to your team differently. Mm. Um, and so we're always looking for where's the right matrix and what's the right mix for our team how do we get the best out of our people and how do we think we can lead and manage, nurture and develop the group of people that we have based on the resources that we had. So I was fortunate that I was really, I was really interested in Tom McGlynn. Um, I was interested in him because I, I liked, you know, he's kind of like the new generation, if you like. Uh, he was smart. Uh, and when I say smart, uh, he wasn't just, he wasn't just articulate on a, on a procedural level. He certainly had a pretty good head on his shoulders for a 30-year-old from my observations. And I think that's important. That's certainly important from, from our business. And um, he, he, he certainly knew what he was talking about, but he had the capacity to see things outside, you know, uh, one transaction to the next. He could see, you know, what system challenges you have when you have a group of 50 agents. And I think he's smart enough to sort of say, I can contribute to solutions there, both on a one-on-one level, but also at a group level. And I think, Bowie, that's the part of the industry that there's not that much in my observations. And I think that's why it does make it difficult as your businesses get bigger. Mm. Um, But I'd agree with you. I think that from my observations, I think that most, most agents, most good agents, most good agents who are principals probably are most effective being an agent. Yeah, that's that's my observation, and I'm 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 glad you agree, and and I also agree about Thomas. You know, I uh, I had the pleasure of working alongside him at a leadership level uh, when he was uh, when he was state manager at Queensland, and, and and I was I was running things over here, and uh, yeah, I think he's advanced for his age, and he's he's a very polished and and mm. uh, and and switched on individual, and um, a very good practitioner, you know, in real estate. So I think it's I think it's been a very good a very good fit from um, certainly observing from the outside in and knowing both of you personally. Um, we mentioned about buyer's agents. Um, it's, it's, it's quite novel in the industry given how long the industry has been going and let's say buyer's agents emerged, you know, I don't know, sort of a decade and a half ago and become more prolific in the last, you know, probably 72 months or so. Um, Where's their role and, 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 and what, what will continue to happen in that space, in your opinion? Yes, yeah, so I, I liken it to, you know, where, where we were as a, as a category and as an industry probably in the early 90s. Mm. I think that the, the buyer's agent as, a, you know, as an industry itself in terms of a service category is going to have a very bumpy, you know, kind of 10 years. And, you know, you've got a huge, huge influx of people coming in there's a there's a perceived need on the consumer side on the buy side um and i think that what you'll see is that there's a lack of there's a lack of depth and expertise in that area which is not a criticism it's an observation i think you know as an industry on the sell side brokers had to go through pretty you know pretty exhausting you know a couple of decades really trying to pull our socks up and you know get better at things and i think bowie from my observations it's it's the service that is provided, you know, individuals, um, you know, around search and time. Um, I think where there's a big lacking is an understanding of property as a product. 
And I don't, and I think that there's a, there's a real bias towards understanding, you know, a method of sale or a process. My view is I think that, that buyers on an advisory side need more than that. Um, I, and I think in fairness, I don't think that the buying, the, the, the buyer industry or the buying market industry is, is just sophisticated enough yet to see that type of, um, probably that type of skill and experience and level of advisory. I think we might see that in a decade. And, and I think in fairness that that's what I think is needed. Uh, and that is, you know, as you, as you know, on our side too, there's an awful lot of practitioners on our side that master a process or a function. Whereas, you know, I think a lot of the great agents are, have a deep knowledge of the product as a category and they understand it's, you know, they understand it's, uh, it's fundamentals. They understand uh, the connection between quality property and what makes great property and how that translates into consumer demand. Um, there's not a lot of agents I find get to that level of knowledge and understanding. Those that do tend to be, in my view, a real standout amongst the crowd. Um, you, can, you can tell when you've got someone who's at that level. Uh, that takes a long time too, mind you, and it takes an awful amount of commitment. You know, I know you're a commercial agent before you're in the residential sphere, and I know your skill set's quite broad. But I, I go back to buyers agents at the moment. I see there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of energy in that space, but it's really at the moment it's kind of embryonic, you know, right now in terms of, you know, in terms of where's that, where is that value? Um, small businesses, person to person, not a lot of you know, really not a lot of resources and not a lot of stuff there that really I think you need to meet to meet the expectations of, the, of, of consumers on the buy side. So I think it's going to be a really interesting space to watch. Uh, and, and frankly, I think that we'll probably have a lot of ups and downs, you know, yeah. in that space over yeah. the next few years. I agree. And I think it's, it's probably um, even more fractured than agency in terms of the, the income configuration. I mean, if 30% of agents make 70% of the income, I'd say 15% of the buyer's agents make 85% of the income. <laughs> um, so, and, and so it'd be interesting to see what that configuration does. Um, so, mate, as we, have you still got another 10 minutes, by the way? Yeah, I do, yeah. Oh, mate, Phil, Phil, we, we, we could talk for days, mate. <laughs> we could talk for days. Um, so another couple of ones, um, mate, is, is going back to the agent's headspace. Um, mm. At what point, I've got my own views, but at what point would you advise an agent to, to put on their first support person? But in saying that, in saying that, should an office as an absolute minimum expectation for the 50 or 40% that, that, that they're taking offer what I call in-office non-dollar productive support. So that's list to launch, exchange to settlement. So, yeah, yeah so, so it's two parts to the question. So, you know, because my coaching um, widow advocates that if you're going to put someone on, make them an income generating person, you know, because this whole thing about what we used to teach 15 years ago about having a non-dollar productive um, support person, sure, that might be part of their role, but you're wasting your money if it's, or it's, if it's, if it's their full-time role, unless you've got an absolute super team of five people. But, um, and, and I'm disappointed with businesses that don't offer that list to launch exchange to settlement um, support. So, so two parts of that. One, do you, do you agree with me with the office support? And two, at what point and what type of role should they be putting someone on? Yeah, so I think, yeah, the, the, the office, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, 
a no-brainer that you've got to you've got to provide that level of value, not just for your agents, but for your own. I think for your own cohesion, you know, that's that's really the sort of business you, you have to be providing value in big pockets of unproductive you know areas, um, and you know the agents need to be the benefits of that because they're going to they're going to ultimately prov- you know be providing a better level of service and delivering outcomes where they need to be if you know if if, if they're not doing those things and i think secondly you know i think two things um you know from my observations is i think firstly the individual needs to demonstrate a willingness and and a willingness to take uh take the next phase um so there's a there's a there's a common sense commercial reality to to that right so uh, and i think that part shouldn't be that difficult for someone to work out if you can afford it or not but I think from my observations, the individual needs to be you know, committed. And when I say committed, they're going to commit to go to the next phase and committed to going through the journey of learning what it's going to be like working with two people rather than just yourself. Um, I always look for that. And I, always, I often see sometimes people are there commercially, they're there financially, they're there on, you know, on terms of their monthly performance. However, I'm not convinced that they're ready to take that next step. And I've seen many situations where they they can do it and they probably didn't have their heart in it. Um, so I really challenge them on that first. And, and also, too, the businesses need to help and go on that journey to help nurture, coach, uh, support, direct, uh, be there to answer the challenges. And, you know, like I, this hasn't worked out as I thought. This has not been good. Da, da, da. Um, and I think, I think most importantly, Bowie, as you said, that you've got to have a, you've got to be very clear about what the role the person is here to perform for you or what are your expectations and outcomes that you want from having a second person on your books? I always, you know, from our point of view, I always used to see when one of the things we started Bressick Whitney, uh, I could never quite understand. And it was maybe because, you know, you and I were around when they, when John first introduced the assistant system, Mm. Um, I learned out very quickly that, uh, and I remember when Ivan came to work for me, you know, I think Ivan and I were probably the first in that dynamic to work out that rather than me doing all the selling and the listing, I can actually train him and get him to do both. And I worked out very quickly that if I set it up properly and I focus on helping him develop his skills, there's no reason why both of us can't do it. Mm. Um, You know, and that was in the late 90s or mid 90s when we did that. And, you know, him and I were selling 15 to 20 a month between us. That wasn't that difficult. And I guess that was one of the concepts that encouraged us to think about how do you develop a group of people in this practice and what is what are the things that we've found that works and didn't work. And I think in interesting, interesting sense, my one of the things that worked for me was it made so much difference if you're a consumer that you had um, you know a well a well-versed, well-educated. Uh, strong service provider as an agent that was right next to you, and you know the thing you learned quite quickly was they don't care what who you know who's what and what terms they are. Can you deliver the value or can you not? So I, I think for me, any agent who's looking at moving from the status quo to where they want to be or what the next phase is, uh, you know, to, to me getting the right individual and having that individual prepared and prepped properly is the best way to do it. Mm. Um, no, no doubt. And if you're not in an office that's providing the administrative unproductive support that you need, uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing 20, 30, and these days, most, most of the guys doing 50 sales 
are just using that service these days, mm. and they've they've been very effective in it. So. I think it's I think it's a no-brainer, Bowie. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great response. It's funny. I'm, I'm just sitting here doing this Zoom from Ray White um, Paddington Malara, which I do a lot of it coaching and advisory work, and and part of my um, uh, my obligation to my agents is um, you know I help interview for for, for for team members and Alex Smith's a fantastic uh, superstar of the future, and um, you know we're we're looking for his second uh, second uh, team member, and uh, we just interviewed someone, and we just knew straight away it wasn't the right person he's a great young kid that we look for but you know we we explained in detail that we were looking for a hybrid role you know someone who can do lead gen someone who can work with buyers but someone who can do some admin work as well and it, it just wasn't the right fit and um uh, it, it, it's it's not for everyone you know like some people you know at the age of 20 they're saying, look, I, I want to be the next Gavin Rubenstein. It's like, wow, okay, well, mate, just it's, you know, he, he's sort of an overnight success that took 15 years, you know, like it just, it just doesn't happen, <laughs> you know. So um, it's interesting to see, uh, and that, that's a generalisation. I mean, I've, I've interviewed some great young kids who, who get that they've got to, you know, eat dirt for three years and, and, then, and then eventually start to see some of the glamorous side of the industry. But... You know, I'm sure you've had a lot of come to Jesus talks with with young people entering the industry, saying, "Listen, um, you know, young lass or young young lad, it, it ain't as glamorous as you think." Let me tell you, and oh, setting that expectation is critical. You know, I completely, and I think that you, you know, I think one of the things that you know, high performing agent you know, can bring, and perhaps don't often reflect enough in terms of the journey you go in. I mean, for us, for us, we, you know, we set the expectations very clearly for young people in terms of what decision you're making and what journey you're going on. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I know that there's a lot of analogies used in sport, but I think it's really straightforward, right? If, if you, you know, if you have aspirations and, and ambitions to work at a high level in this industry, in terms of your boat brokerage delivery and your value, you know, you're going to have to be prepared to go in and you're going to work on your speed. You're going to work on your endurance. You're going to work on your strength. You know, work on your core competencies that give you the ability to be able to deliver that when you're out in the field. Mm. If you just want to run out in the field and you want to match it with, you know, the best performers and the best the best sports people, you're deluded and that ain't going to happen. Mm. So before you decide to go into, you know, the sheds or before you decide you want to go in the field, ask yourself really what it is that you want to do. Mm. Now, in fairness, there's a responsibility on the business side and the brand side and the agency side to say, we know what you need to do in terms of getting your strength and, you know, getting your core competencies to a certain level. And we've got a certain view about what we need, you know, the young men and women to do before they get to that point. But, Bowie, I've never seen many people get from that point to delivering that, level of expertise out there in the field without a few years of good well-considered training absolutely Um, it's got to happen and you know i think some people are very lucky they find themselves in a in a in a a business unit or with an agent that has a certain skill and passion and commitment to helping people grow and nurture and giving them feedback and helping them you know as they're going through their their ups and downs a lot of agents are not like that in fairness Mm. a lot of agents can't provide that level of support or they don't want to, and that's fair. But I don't think that, you know, I think that I, I see a lot of this on the, not just the agent side, but I see it on the principal side, that it isn't luck. Uh, there, there, there is some logic and common sense to, you know, being able to get a person from 
point A to point B. Mm-hmm. But people have to be very realistic and they have to be clear about what those steps are. And my view is that if you go through those steps and you, you're, there's a level of accountability, a little discipline, and that there's the mechanisms in the business to support and nurture along the way, most people will make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the individual's got to go on that journey and say, I'm open to being to be given feedback and, and support and direction along the way. Mm, yeah. And if they're not prepared to do that, I find that their path, you know, the Gavin Rubensteins and these guys, some of them will get through regardless of what happens, right? Mm, mm. But the majority won't. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, look, I've sat in front of plenty of sort of early 20-year-olds that are assistants in teams and they say to me, Adrian, I want to be my own agent. And I say to them, is there a chance you're wrong? Um, and they say, maybe. And I say to them, is there a chance that even though those words are coming out of your mouth that I want to be my own agent, is there a chance that that's a euphemism for I want to earn more money and have more market profile? And they say, that's exactly what I want. And I'm like, what about if I showed you how to achieve both of those objectives by staying in a team just for an extra two years? And I talk them through it. And then I use the Ben Collier example, which is an extreme example because he was with James for 15 years. But from day one, day one of becoming a standalone, was a superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got, I mean, I give them other examples where people were on my team, you know, handling 12 listings and then door knocking for four years after that straight. You know, so so there's the it's 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 interesting that what the objective might be one thing, but what comes out of their mouth might be a different thing. So, um, mate, as we start to wrap up, it'd be very remiss of us uh, widows not to talk about the current market. We're the end of March. Um, you know, you and I have seen I don't know twelve cycles. I, w- I would have thought in, in yeah. three, de- three decades. Yeah. This is an anomaly, in my opinion, um, an anomaly in the sense that it's. It's been triggered by, um, obviously, a, a pandemic and, and a black swan event in COVID-19 uh, where people have placed a high degree of importance on, on real estate um, and it's therefore um, created a shortage of stock, low interest rates, which, which are not COVID-triggered. That's just, that's just a macroeconomic factor of high household debt and um, and obviously, you know, inflation not not where it needs to be. Um, but I tell you what, it's it's insane the prices. Like it's just you know you, you appraise a property and you list it, and then by the time it's sold, it's 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 double digit. You know, in terms yeah. of its of its adjustment. Uh, what do you make of it, and where do you see it going? Oh, look, it's fascinating. I mean, I I, I do agree. I, I mean, yeah, probably twelve cycles, twelve fifteen different cycles, and. Um, you know, as a student of markets, I, I, I must say one of the fascinating things about what we do is is being a participant in, you know, a, a major major market like Australian real estate. Is, it's a privilege to, you know, to be able to make money out of it. Um, I, you know, we are fully expected based on all the, you know, patterns in terms of how we were responding to, you know, the issues over the past 12 months. And it certainly felt like that we were going to get, we were going to get a pretty strong win this year. I, I must say, Bo, I it's been a lot harder and faster and sharper and quick than I thought it would be. Mm. Um, it's hard to make sense out of some of the, uh, I guess, some of the pricing uh, in certain categories. Mm. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, and I guess this is a different cycle for us because it's not investor driven. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly something that the government want to see happen, perhaps to a certain extent. Um, and I guess I'd, it's it's remarkable to see, you know, homeowners in, you know, most most price points, but mostly middle to upper categories, really behave with, you know, with the with the sort of unrelenting kind of focus they are in terms of, you know, particularly on the housing side. Um, so, you know, what would I what would I say? Honestly, I'd say that most people, agents included, and on the buy and vendor side probably don't really realise what we're dealing with. I think it's very difficult, you know, to, to sit in amongst this kind of high, those high winds and really take a perspective. Um, I'd say that one of the things I said to my team quick, you know, very quickly, you know, I said to them last year, I, I think we're going into a cycle that will be memorable. Um, you know, and most of, most of my agents, not all, but most of my agents, a lot of them are under the age of 40 and I said, you know, this will be a cycle that you'll remember for a long time. I, I don't know why, but, you know, the, the events we've had to deal with in the past two years has been quite extraordinary. And if anything, the consistency around this is this cycle will probably be equally extraordinary. It just means it'll be going that way for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how does agents and businesses benefit from this? And what are the things that we can do? And one of those things, you know, I think that we have to learn about is try not, try not to, try not to take too big a position on the process as an agent. Let the process happen. Get out of its way. Learn from each sale. Uh, not necessarily about the price, but learn and look at what you're seeing and observing. And I think that's the important thing, right, Bowie? It's not about how much it sells over the reserve. It's not about how many register. What do you take out of the transaction? What can you use from your observations from this? Because as you can see, people who are quite smart and and understand this sort of stuff, they'll use that in terms of how they strategize pricing, how they deal with certain methods of sale, what advice they're giving to buyers, to, to, to vendors. And look, most of it's, most of it's due to, you know, the demand side and what's happening with buyers. What, what do I make of it? I guess I'm looking at it saying this is the first time I've experienced a, a cycle so quick and abrupt. Um, I'm watching and observing and I'm trying to learn. And it's certainly, I, I'm, my head's ticking over in terms of what are we doing as a business? How can we respond to this? What am I doing as an agent? How does it impact my prospecting? How does it impact my listing? How does it impact my you know, my, uh, my vendor management and also too, right. Everyone wants to get the best price and that hasn't changed. Right. Um, they still want the best price. And I actually think that, you know, very quickly the vendors expectations come to come to fall quite quickly. Mm. And I don't think it's as easy to list in the second quarter as it's been in the first quarter. And, you know, you've got to be on your toes, mm. got to get that strategy right. But most importantly, We've got to be smart because it's it's a deal creation environment. If you are, you know, if you've got a strong lens on qualified buyers and behaviours, you will do deals and you will put deals together that you wouldn't have done in a different, you know, in a different environment. But not every agent practices that way. You know, there's too much of a bias towards listing, and they're probably seeing you know opportunities. But you know that that's where I see it. I, I see it as a great deal creation environment that we're in. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I think, you know, for the listeners, they, they need to understand, especially if they're new to the industry, that these black swan events won't stop. I mean, every seven years, you're either going to see an early 90s recession, a GFC, a 9-11, a COVID, you know, th- these are black swan events that happen in markets. And then personally, we need to equip ourselves that black swan events will occur in our lives, whether it's a relationship issue, a financial issue, a health issue. Um, and, you know, I'm a great, great believer of stoicism, which is, you know, a 2000 year old philosophy, which, which I was forced to study intensely 18 months ago when I went through an extremely challenging time. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have made it through. And, um, and I tell you, it's, uh, it's, it def- definitely equips you. Uh, and allows you to budget for these type of events, both per- personally and globally, you know? Yeah. So, mate, that, that was a whole amazing uh, <laughs> session of information, like drinking water out of a fire hose, wasn't it? <laughs> um, now, there's four, there's four quick questions I like to, uh, to wrap up on, um, and it always puts people on the spot, so I hope you don't mind. Um, number one, what's a personal or professional daily ritual that you, that's not negotiable for you? Oh, yeah. I um, Personal daily ritual is I get up at 4.30 and I go for a 30-minute run. Good for you, mate. That's not dissimilar to me. 4.30 is, is, is the same time I get up and I do either a walk or a little jog um, or, a, or a little gym session. So, yeah, it's, it's a great way to listen to podcasts and, and, uh, and, and just you know, clear your mind. Um, yes. Secondly, what's the biggest mistake you've made in business? Oh, <laughs> I think uh, the biggest mistake in business that I made was um, uh, was was the decision around opening opening an office based on based on the hypothesis that our brand was strong enough. Good answer. Good answer. An honest one. What's the best decision you've made in business? It's either yielded the best result or personally satisfied you the most. Um, I think the best decision I made in business was, um, was to partner with somebody in the Bressick Whitney venture. I think that was, I think that was the, I think that, that, that allowed me to live a lifestyle that, you know, I wanted to continue to live. So I think that was a very good decision. Good, good. And these, these questions are meant to be, I'll put you on the spot because they provide instinctive visceral answers. Yeah. Which is, so the last one is uh, uh, what I allow all my guests to do is ask me any question they want for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Who is the best real estate agent you have come across in the last 30 years? By what metric? Um, all, round, all round effectiveness as a practitioner. Michael Pallier. There you go. Good answer. I'll tell you why. Because when I was looking to buy a house, you know, four years ago, actually, I think I came through one of yours, Megan and I came through one of yours in Paddington, if I remember, because we were looking anywhere from Paddington to Vaucluse. Yeah. Um, Megan has, doesn't know anyone in real estate apart from you. She just doesn't live in that space. 
And the person that made the biggest impression on her and she still talks about today was Michael Pallier. Wow. Yeah, incredible. Um, and, and as you know, and I'd say this to his face, he's, he's certainly not the most remarkable person or the most prodigious person, but i tell you what, you know, just his, his personality and his, his customer-centric attitude towards yeah. everything, it's, it's just mind-blowing. Oh, yeah, hard, hard, hard to beat, yeah, very yeah. hard to beat. All right, mate. Well, listen, I really appreciate this session. It's been unbelievable, mate, and I'm really selfish. I did it, you know, just so you and I could catch up and <laughs> a couple of thousand people listen to it. Um, and now if people want to catch Shannon, he's on Instagram with his full name, just Shannon Whitney, at Shannon Whitney, and he and obviously Bressick Whitney is just bressickwhitney.com.au. And if you want to catch me, I'm on adrianbow.com. I'd love everyone to join my real estate academy. I was telling Shannon about it previously. Um, basically, what it includes is daily content from me. So you just go to the academy uh, on my website, adrianbow.com. And um, part of the proceeds go to both Beyond Blue and Black Dog Institute. So it's an initiative from myself, just given um, my own experience with mental health and, and the fact that I'm in the coaching space um, most of my coaching sessions turn into counselling sessions and I'm very fortunate that I am actually have some skill set and some reference and equip to actually deal with it. But it's epidemic in our industry, Shannon, absolutely epidemic. I would say more than 50% of the industry have suffered or will suffer from some form of anxiety or depression. Yeah. Um, and that's why I've started this academy to, to provide content but also to give back. And they're the two best institutions. I've done my research, Beyond Blue and Black Dog Institute. Mm. I did a charity auction for Black Dog Institute on uh, Friday at the Riley Street Garage and raised over $100,000. Mm. Um, so I was really stoked to be able to do that. Um, and then I've got a whole bunch of other training options and modules on there as well. So I'd love you to visit that. And, um, yeah, until next week, uh, I've got another great guest coming up next week, Shannon, someone you know, you know well, Mr. Peter Matthews, very well revered. Yeah. He's just been appointed the president, as you know. I heard. Yeah. yeah I, heard. I heard, mate. Uh, you're in good company, mate. You're in good All right, company. man. Yeah. And I really appreciate your time. And, mate, uh, we're definitely going to have a catch-up for a coffee next couple of weeks, yeah. okay? Email me. Email yeah, me. Okay. I'll meet you over the road there when you're over there. Just tell me and I'll, I'll, we'll hook up there. Um, all right, listeners, thanks so much for your time. And Shannon, thank you for giving your time. And right. mate, you're very, very generous and, and very honest. And uh, we really appreciate it, buddy. All right, Bowie, no worries. All the best, mate. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.